is up? How are you guys doing tonight? Are you guys doing all right? Or how are you guys doing tonight? All right. Hey, so tonight, uh, we got to get right to the point. I have to start off by making a, a confession. Uh, this morning, this very morning, I think I became the most hated man in St. Louis. This very morning. This morning. No, I, I didn't. Um, I, I didn't post like anything terrible online. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal anything. Um, I made a conscious choice. I did a little experiment. When I left the house this morning, I chose to keep my speedometer to two to five miles under the speed limit the entire way into the building today. Two to five miles. How many of you guys ever try to do that? Are you guys speeders in here? Speeders, we got some speeders. Anybody love going under the speed limit? Any, any folks in here? We got, yes? Yes, a few. So it's not natural. It's not very natural. And it takes a few minutes. Like I left the house this morning and I get on the highway. It's really tough when you're in town, but I get on the highway and I find myself going like a cool 55 and a 60 and I, I start getting fidgety. I'm looking around thinking, what else should I be doing? I'm, I'm usually going faster than this. I usually have more stuff uh, you know, to, 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 to occupy myself. I realize that I'm going to have more time in the car because this is driving slower. I even drove through a construction zone for a little while. So on the highway, I was driving 40 miles an hour in a construction zone. Now, what begins to happen is this. Um, people look at you really funny, okay? Uh, the way I look at people when they drive 40 miles an hour on the highway in a 45, um, people drive by, and, and I saw a spectrum of this this morning. I'm completely telling the truth. On one side, there's, uh, there's scowls. There's like people like gritting their teeth at me because they're trying to get the work. They're trying to get there on time. They just get annoyed that somebody's in the way, especially if it's, if it's dropped down to like two lanes and there's a truck over here and I'm just, I'm that guy just bottling up the highway. So there's scowls in that way. And then the other kind of people that would go by uh, would sort of like, they would look at me confused and they were trying to figure out, I think I'm younger than what they thought I would be. And I think, I think one lady was even trying to like mouth something like, are you Okay. Are you okay? Like, do you want us to follow you to a garage? Is your car okay? You know, just not getting. I'm intentionally driving this fast. It was a drizzly morning. It was perfect. I put some Miles Davis jazz on. It was like, I was like in, man, I like lean the seat back. I'm just, I'm just like making my way into work. It was, it was nice and easy. Uh, we're not used to staying under the speed limit. We, we love, I, I would contend to live our lives uh, beyond the limit, above the limit in some way. Um, we don't like that, uh, to stay underneath the threshold of, of where things are. Um, we, um, we do this in other ways, too. We do this in other ways, too. Um, how many of you guys are handy, crafty? Yay? Uh, any, any females, are you, like, um, super crafty, really good, like, making awesome, beautiful-looking things? You take, like, some, some bailing wire, uh, a few clothespins, maybe a... Um, maybe a, a couple pieces of paper and a pen and you walk out and there's like this amazing mural three hours later and somehow nobody knows how it happened, but, but you did it. Um, it's, it's all due to two things, uh, YouTube and Pinterest, by the way. Um, so yeah, we got YouTube on one sense and, and the next logo here, this is Pinterest. This is actually the great equalizer. It makes us think that we can do things that are above and beyond our limit. So how many of you guys have ever had something go wrong with your car or females if you're uh, a handy a female with uh, the automobiles, and you open up YouTube on your phone, you're like, I got this. And you got like three tools that were in your trunk, 
and none of them are the tool that you need for this job, but, but I got this because this guy on YouTube is going to show me how to do it. Or you get ingrained in this project, this craft, this something. You jump on Pinterest and you're like, well, I'm, I'm reading the description. It's not making sense, you know. We get ourselves uh, overwhelmed in over our heads sometimes. If our limit's here, we find ourselves up here sometimes wondering, uh, how am I going to get out of this? Am I going to, I mean, my car is literally a part in my driveway and I don't even know how to drive it to a garage. This thing was supposed to look like some like white swan and I don't even have any idea what this thing is, but nobody is going to want to look at it. How, how do we reconcile all this stuff? What happens when you find yourself um, beyond your limit in a lot of other ways in life is you get anxious. When you're beyond your limit financially, when you're beyond your limit relationally, when you are beyond your limit, like you're past the, the breaking point when it's been okay that you didn't have a job lined up until all of a sudden about two months ago, you started getting the stares from your family, you know. Um, anxiety sets in. Things that we can't control uh, begin to overwhelm us. Um, I think the temptation is to want to go after what the world has to offer at times and say, man, my life is going to be figured out if I just have this money, if I just have this job, if, I, if my relationship gets reconciled and worked out, if I, if I just find that significant other, all these things. All the while, I, I'm, I'm thinking that that's not enough because the Christian, Christian, you, brother and sister in Christ, have something else um, at your disposal. You have access to something else far greater than anything the world can ever offer, far greater than a paycheck, far greater uh, th than even an amazing relationship, far greater than all those things. At the end of the day, we're going to start on um, this confession. It's a phrase, it's a prayer that's going to carry us all throughout tonight. Even in the best provision, in the worst, in the highest and the lowest, Christ be everything. Christ be everything. So come what may, Christ be everything. In my lacking, Christ be everything. No matter what happens, Christ be everything. That's our opportunity tonight. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. Philippians has been an amazing uh, book. You guys, have you guys been enjoying Philippians through the summer here at Matthias? Uh, we've been blessed. Pastor Mark has, has preached uh, phenomenally through uh, three, three chapters now of this four-chapter book. We're rounding the bend. We're going, we're, we're going to land the plane here in a couple weeks uh, when he finishes us out. Uh, over the next two weeks, and this has been an amazing letter, right? Remember, it's between Paul, the apostle, who's in prison, writing to encourage this church in Philippi, this young, early European Macedonian church that is facing opposition uh, from outside. It's facing opposition from the culture outside itself. And he's writing them. They join together in this gospel partnership, and he says this in Philippians 4. I'm going to read the whole passage. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. Therefore, in light of everything that we've been hearing and reading over the past couple weeks, because 
we forget what lies behind and we press forward to the upward call of the goal in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because our bodies are going to be resurrected, because Jesus will win at the end of the day, because no matter what happens in the face of this opposition you're facing, Jesus will be the victor in the end. Therefore, stand firm, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He loves this church. Stand firm, dig in. Dig your heels in. Don't, don't lose your ground. Don't, don't let them push you back. Don't let them cause you to waver in your calling, to waver in what you've confessed to believe. Um, there, there's an image, and we, we're going to have this image that builds throughout tonight. This image is of, um, of a battlefield. Now, you're on a battlefield. Imagine that the, 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 the battle lines are drawn, and way off in a distance, you see the enemy army marching on. Slowly but surely, you can see them begin to get bigger and bigger. Now, the temptation in your flesh is to cut and run. If I get out of here, I probably could be home by dinner, right? But as you see the enemy advancing more and more, the call is stand firm. Dig in. Don't let, don't let the opposition change your position. That's why it's called the opposition. It's trying to change where you are. It's trying to shift you back to get you on your heels. Last week, Mark read this passage, and this, this begins to, to be um, our strength tonight. Be strong in the Lord and in the, in the strength of his might. I would argue that the only way that you can stand firm as a Christian is to stand firm in the Lord. In some ways, we're always in Christ because we always are living in this union with Christ. We're united with Christ by the Spirit. We're united with God. But in the Lord, to actively grab a hold of Jesus... Sometimes you can only stand firm because you have to hold on to the one who is anchored, right? In, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, um, don't build your house on the sand. Build your house on the rock. Well, if you ever thought about that, if you build a house and just set it on a bunch of rocks, you can push that over too. No, he's talking about in their area, go, go deeper beneath the sand, beneath the clay, into the deep, firm-founded bedrock. Build your house, root it, found it down there. Anchor it deep with me. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. On all other ground, it's, it's sinking sand. We, we sing that song, you know. So to stand firm in the Lord can only be done in, uh, in arm in arm, in, in, in anchored relationship in Christ. Stand firm in the Lord. It's hard work to do, though. What's your opposition? Right now, if you do an assessment in your life, what, what is coming your way? What's trying to push you back off the line? It may not be a, um, it may not be like a, a, an army trying to, to, you know, walk into to Lindenwood or Mobap or Maryville or something like that and like make you drop your confession of Christ. It may not be that in our part of the world, but what is it? Maybe it's maybe it's a bully. Maybe it's a way that the enemy is trying to to work his way through the comments of others to make you feel like having Christ is not enough. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. What's your opposition? Do you even know your position? Do you even know where, where you're at on the battlefield? Are you so, are you so um, oblivious to what's going on around you that you've, you're not realizing that all the while you've been inch by inch by inch backing up until you get to the point one day where you have no idea how you got this far back? Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Christ be everything. Verse 2. He picks it up again. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Now, these are two women, two women who were going to see there were, were leaders in a lot of ways in the church. They were co-laborers with Paul. They were Christians. They were mature. He says, I'm begging both of you to agree in the Lord. He's not saying you have to agree on every single point. He's talking about being like-minded. Earlier in Philippians 2, Paul made a statement uh, where he said that we should be um, of like mind with one another. Th th it's the same word as this. This word is used 10 times in only four chapters. To be in a general agreement in the same direction. Now, you don't have to hold hands with the person that's next to you. You can be far enough away that you've got a little space, but moving in the same direction, on mission, with Christ, for Christ, for the glory of God. So Paul says, I entreat these two woman, uh, women to agree in the Lord, verse 3. Yes, I, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored uh, side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We have no idea, honestly, who exactly the true companion is. There's some good guesses, but at the end of the day, I, I don't know that it makes a huge difference on what he's saying here. But he's talking to somebody specifically at this point in the letter saying, help these women. Step in. Help them be reconciled. How good of a reconciler are you? We've got kind of two types of people usually. You've got people who gravitate to, toward conflict. And you've got people who avoid it at all costs, like they have an allergic reaction to it. There's relational strife. Well, that's, yeah, I'll wait till it boils over. Or there's relational strife. Then you like run in like, like sword charged, you're going you're gonna to seize the day. Most people fall kind of on one or the other in that. Reconciliation is hard. Reconciliation with the world sometimes is nearly impossible. But I think what, what Paul is saying here, because these two women are both Christ followers, they have something that gives them the grounds and the basis to be reconciled on. Because they share Christ. If they share Christ, then there's nothing more powerful than Christ which means that there's nothing more powerful than the thing that they already agree on, which means that they have a starting point to come back together. It, it's this picture, I think, building on our image, our battlefield image, that um, to be together is more strong than being separate. So you're back on the battlefield. You're back on the line. And, and actually, the line is now a circle because, because as the enemy's charging, you're standing here and your brother and your sister and Christ is standing back to back with you. And you're actually holding each other up by standing firm together. But I entreat you, agree in the Lord because two are stronger than one, because we have mission together. Because our differences aren't enough, again, because Christ is better than whatever our differences are. Our differences aren't enough to divide us because we are better together in this mission with Christ. What if reconciliation seems impossible? If the person is not a Christian, reconciliation may not be possible. Uh, some of you guys know my story. Uh, some of you don't. I'm, I'm, uh, I actually didn't share this in the first service. My mother was here. So she wouldn't have anything against it. You just try to be sensitive. Uh, so I've, I've never known my dad. I'm 31 years old. I'm, I'm probably finally at the, the first point in my life where I am, I am totally all in for at least being reconciled with the situation. And I've, I've, I've been to counseling. I've, I've talked to people. I've wrestled with this. I've watched the end of Field of Dreams 50,000 times wishing that it would happen. 
right? Oh, can my dad just come up and we'll just play catch, you know? But it never happened. Because my dad, my, my mother and my father, dated for a short amount of time. And you can't tell me that I was planned, okay? As much as anybody tried to kind of skate that over, you can't tell me I was a planned thing because uh, there's just no way. There's no way because of the problems I know they were having while they were dating. Now, here's the deal. I've never met him. Never in my entire life. My mom never married after him. So my entire life, I've only ever grown up with an unreconciled situation. Now, she gave him an ultimatum. He was an alcoholic. It reached the point where she said, you, you either choose, um, you choose the bottle or you choose us. And he made his choice. He voted with his feet. He walked away. Now, you go through the cycles in this. You go through the motions. When I was a kid, there was all like the daydreaming of all this stuff. And then there were the teenage years where it was really tough. And all the things that I did acting out or, or testing the waters because I didn't have that, that fatherly influence. A couple of years ago, um, my mom works at a police department. And one time she... She, I don't even know how this came up, but she ended up getting, uh, giving me the past couple addresses that he would have lived at. I think she had to find it for somebody else. He randomly asked her if she had like kept in touch with him, and she's like, "No, I haven't talked to him in 30 years. Sorry." But, but then I think she felt obligated to say, "You know, he, I found this out. Here's this." So, I'm a 29-year-old guy driving around uh, Dump, North St. Louis, looking, trying to find these addresses. At these, uh, at these buildings that should be condemned. And I'm asking bums sitting on the side of the road, hey, have you, have you seen this, a tall white guy here anytime recently? He's, and he's my height. I look like him. I've never met him and I look like him. So I'm driving around like this, like this lost whatever. How is that going to be reconciled? As far as I know, he didn't come to Jesus after after he left my mom and I. It may have changed. I, 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 doubt, I doubt that he has. I think I probably have other siblings that are out there, like half-siblings that I may never meet. Here's the place I know where I stand right now. If, if we get to, you know, somehow magically end up on, like, Bush Stadium's field someday and, like, hey, Dad, can we just have a catch and we have that, like, that, that's, that's awesome if it happens. But here's the reality is that at the end of the day, I cannot control what happens with that man. I can't force him to do anything, and it seems, it seems absolutely inappropriate that I should ever have to force him to reconcile with me. A boy should never have to ask his, his father to be reconciled to him. But at the, at the end of the day, I have Christ. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. And that's the only way that I can even try to sing a song like Good, Good Father. And don't think that I don't think about it every single day, all the time. Christ be everything. I know some of you are in my shoes. Some of you, you live with your parents and you feel like the same way. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. All right, so he continues on. Enough of my Field of Dreams stories. Uh, I probably won't get to telling any Jurassic Park stories uh, I basically believe all truth, except for the Bible, comes down to two movies, The Field of Dreams and Jurassic Park. So that's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my basic thesis on, on life truth. So enough of that. Uh, in verse 4, Paul then continues on. He says this, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So to rejoice, um, see, what it, see what it doesn't say here. See, we read a verse like this and we walk out and we go in public and we think it means rejoice in your circumstances always, at all times. Whatever it is, make lemonade out of lemons or whatever else stupid saying that we say to try to make things seem better than what they really are. No, he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Not because the situation, not because the circumstance is great, but because the Lord is unchanging. You have the Lord Christ be uh, everything. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my friends, you have him, I have him. He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord always. Sometimes I think the world needs to see that we hate particular situations because of how evil they are because we know what it's like to rejoice in the best thing that the world has ever seen. Rejoice in the Lord at all times. Again, I will say rejoice. Instead of trying to fake it and look like a crazy person saying that terrible situations aren't really that bad, the gospel says you can call it what it is because I have the Lord. I have hope in something better than this. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Christ be everything. He continues on in verse 6. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He's, he's close. I mean, you can almost touch him. The Lord is near both in time and space. He's, he's near like he's coming closer, but he's also near, um, he's near like he, he's coming soon. And the Lord being near, Jesus being close, makes all the difference in the world in how we face the outside world, how we respond to them. Do we, do we, do we reach out, you know, like on Facebook or on social media or uh, with strangers on the street in, um, like, walking around like we're the Almighty? Like, we have everything figured out. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? No, it's so easy to do that. But no, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to every everyone, everyone out there. Let them know you for how reasonable you are. Let them know you for how gentle you are. If you have the NIV or another Bible translation, it probably says something like, let your gentleness be known to everyone. To be known as, to be known as people who are standing your ground, to be known as people who are locked arm in arm, right, in the face of the enemy, and to be known as people who don't have to return evil for evil, who don't have to hurl back insults, who don't have to, to respond in the way that the world only knows how to sometimes. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It's easy to, it's easy to do it on our own strength, to try to make ourselves look good. I want them to think that I'm a good person because of how nice I'm treating them in the moment right now. Here's the question. Am I doing this in my strength or am I doing this in the Lord? If you do this in the Lord, it's actually very easy because you're holding on to Jesus who is very much bigger than you and me. Let your reasonableness be known uh, to everyone. So here's the image. Uh, you're, you're in your uh, you're back-to-back or you maybe started to be in a circle with your fellow soldiers, your comrades, and, and you're standing uh, each other up. You're standing your ground. The enemy is, has gotten so close now that you can start to hear the words they're saying, that you can start to hear the things that they're projecting your way. And as you stand there, as they get close, they're expecting you to sound like them. 
They're expecting you to give back evil for evil. Well, don't give them what the world expects because we follow a Savior, like in Isaiah 53, that, that says that when he was led to, to, to slaughter, he was silent. Like a sheep that was, that, that was led to the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was gentle. He was strong, but gentle. That's the king that we follow. That's the Jesus that we follow. Uh, earlier, I had a confession to make um, about my elderly driving habits this morning. Uh, that was kind of a funny confession. This is actually a pretty serious confession. Uh, I have realized over the past uh, few months very clearly that in the face of, of a command like this to let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone, I've realized that I actually have an anger problem. And you may, I mean, this, I'm, I'm serious. Like, if you know me, you, you probably think that's a joke. But I, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm completely serious. Most of my life, I've been the poster child for chilled out, laid back, like nothing fazed me, it's all good, even keel. And I think what's happened in the past couple of years, because we have two sons now, we have two little boys, and they're amazing, by the way. They're, they're, they only do things that are appropriate that little boys do. There's nothing wrong with them. But the fact that, that, I, that there's no off-season, you're always on the clock. You come home from work, and then, you know, there's no, like, like halftime break. There's no, um, there's no take five. At I mean, you're always uh, on the go. I'm, I'm wired in such a way that I kind of need that breathing time sometimes. I think that's why I basically got about 30 years without realizing that I had this struggle because I naturally had a lot of breathing time in my life, whether it was a drive or a commute or, or space between people or whatever it may be. But I've, I've seen that I have this, this underlying temper. Uh, and, and when it comes out, it's, man, you, you, do you ever just feel like, for this reason or for any other reason, do you ever just feel like your heart is black? There's times where I feel like my heart is black, and I'm in that season now. It's one thing to say it, let me tell you a story about something I got over 20 years ago. This is something I'm in right now, this very moment. So uh, a month ago, family's on vacation. And we went to Table Rock Lake. We're chilling. We're having a good time fishing and swimming and all the good stuff. Well, we ended up, my wife and I had to share a bedroom for the first time ever with our two boys. Um, that changes a lot, okay? I'm just going to say this changes everything. Let alone, it changes this. Uh, every time you breathe heavy, you're afraid you're going to wake up the kid, right? Or every time the one kid wakes up, you're afraid he's going to wake up the other kid. Or every time they take a nap, then all of a sudden they realize that you're in there at nighttime. We, I want you to sleep here during the daytime. Like, it's, it, all of a sudden, like, my, my processing space, my little breathing space got taken out, and I had my agenda for what I wanted to do on vacation. I read three books and I did a lot of fishing and swimming. That's like, that's all I wanted to do. Hang out with family and just rock it. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. And day three was about 48 hours into our time there. And uh, our older son, Reed, he's three years old. Just being a three-year-old, he's goofy sometimes. And uh, I, I was trying to read a little bit of scripture during his nap. I'm not trying to sound pious. I just, I don't think I, I think I slept in in the morning, so I was doing it at nap time or whatever. But all of a sudden, I, Sarah and I are in, my wife and I are in the, the, the living room, and we hear him yell out. And right away, Sarah said, you got him? She was working on something. And I stand up, and I'm like, yep, fine, 
Yep, I got them. Like literally, said it like that, except for this. This is an ESV thinline Bible. I had a phone book. I had like the phone book ESV study Bible, if you guys ever have that. So, you know, yep, like, like slams down on the coffee table. And she gets up right away and like, say we're going this way. She gets up right away and I get up and we're walking toward the same spot. She's trying to, she's trying to protect, she's trying to, I don't know if she's trying to protect me from them or them from me, but she's trying to step in because she knows that my frame of mind is not right. And we get about two steps from the door and I'm like Mr. Calm right before this, the whole trip right before this. I look up at her, I point my finger at her and I say, stop, sit down. And she, she like did, she did the whole like, the head went back. I didn't think your head could go back that far. And the head goes back and as soon as I did it, as soon as I did it, while I was doing it, I could, I could feel myself talking in my mind, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Like as it's going out of my mouth. And, uh, and for me, you know, the way I am, the way I like to reconcile conflict is let's hash it out right now. Let's talk. Let's, let's figure this out. Because I'm pretty ashamed of what I did. I feel like a complete fool. I feel terrible. We don't, we don't talk to each other like that. We don't want to teach our boys to talk to other people like that. Now, some of you have grown up in households or in situations now that that doesn't seem so bad. Maybe you hear a lot worse on a regular basis. Some of you, that's the worst thing ever. And what, what I went on to experience was about 24 hours of a, I'll call it a communication hiatus from my wife, okay? You got to remember, we're only down there for, for a handful of days. So one entire day, her and I, we were around each other, right? Like we were... We were like-minded, technically, I guess. Like, yeah, we still both had Christ, but we are not talking, right? I mean, it's so awkward, too. You're, like, eating dinner with everybody, but you're not even trying to, like, look over and talk. Um, eventually, what we did do, we got, we, a day later, things, you know, things cooled off, and we were able to take a walk and go sit by a pool and, and just talk, and, and she said some things that I needed to hear, and I said some things that needed to be said, um, if repented, I mean, you never want to hear, you never, ever, ever want to hear somebody say, that's not the man I married. You never want to hear that. Um, Man. So what began was me, I I didn't think this out. It just began to be the, the words that were on my lips all the time. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. And I'll assure you a little bit, there's no holes in our walls in our house. Like, our kids don't have bruises or anything. We're not, like, you're not in danger right now. I thought about this. <laughs> After the first service, I thought about this. It, it may be a little awkward that I'm standing up here telling them I have an anger problem. And they're sitting there having to listen to me, you know. No, we're working through it. But what I want it to be is, like, this clear, straight-up, you know, graph where it's like, yeah, there's progress and sanctification and calmness and, you know, Christ is everything. Well, uh, what happened was for days and days and days, I did see tremendous progress and fruit. And I'm, you know, I'm calm. I'm driving in. I told you about my drive-in this morning. I'm, I'm like listening to jazz music. I'm like always doing this stuff, trying to, trying, to, trying to figure this out, man. How can I set myself up to not feel like I have to defend myself, to not feel like I have to reach out and get mine or whatever? But then a week ago, it happened again. You know, we, we were getting the boys out the door. Sarah and I were not even in the same sector of the house and I wasn't even talking to her but she could hear it come out 
and I could too. We didn't even see each other after that. We, we, we like waved goodbye, and I knew and she knew the whole day there was something that, that was between us. But we came back the next, you know, that, that afternoon. We take our boys to swim lessons on Tuesday nights. We go to Wendy's. Uh, every time it's like our, our ritual. Love it. Amazing french fries. We're sitting there, and uh, except for the peanut oil is like everywhere. You can't move a chair back and forth on the carpet because it's so sticky. But beyond that, um, we're sitting there, and I'm just talking, and I'm down on myself. I, I did the typical things of me. Like I left that morning. First thing I did was I drove by Lifeway, and I bought a Bible study on anger. I'm like, I got to get to this. I got to figure this anger out. You know, I mean, show me what the Bible says about anger. And, and it's not, not to say that that's not a terrible thing, but but what I really needed to do was, was, to, was to, to be reconciled again, to come back, to talk, and, and just take a breath and say, I'm sorry, again. And for her to be able to say, hey, you know this isn't going to happen overnight. You have to keep going. Christ be everything. Christ be everything. And whatever situation you're in that's unresolved, may not be a struggle with anger or being unreasonable or whatever, but Christ be everything in your process right now, but now the, the passage takes the final turn. We get to the all-famous last two verses. Uh, verse 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything. We'll just stop right there. Any of you guys see that, and the first reaction in your mind is like, yeah, right, okay. All right, I guess I'll believe it because the Bible's inspired so it's got to be true, but I'm still not buying it. Yeah. I'm just going to flip, you know, the page to Colossians, right? I'm going to get past this. Do not be anxious about anything. Is this even possible? What are you anxious about right now? School, tests, future, money, boyfriends, girlfriends, kids, parents, what you're wearing, what you, who you would sit by tonight. Like, the temptations are everywhere to be anxious. To be uh, anxious in a way that distracts us from who God is. At the core root of this word for, for being anxious, it can also mean a good thing sometimes. Some, some verses say, uh, talk about it being about care and concern. But when it's a prohibition, when it's saying don't do this, don't be anxious, it's this idea of, of being pulled apart into two, being divided, like a divided focus. In Matthew 6, Jesus says famously, you cannot serve God and money. And then the very next verse, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. You can't, you can't have your hand on God and money. You can't, you, can't, you can't be holding in tension the things that only he can provide for. Therefore, do not be divided about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious. Be anxious, uh, do not be anxious about um, anything. I think our culture is addicted to anxiety. We can't stop speeding, can't stop being distracted. We take pride in being distracted because apparently the anxious ones are the ones who are busy and doing stuff. Our culture is so terribly addicted to anxiety. Paul continues on in the rest of the verse. He says, but in everything... Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, no exclusion, all things included, all anxious situations, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. In all things, offer it up to the Lord. Offer up your prayers. 
Offer your, your supplications, your petitions. Ask God to work in this. Give him your needs. All with thankfulness. Unbelievable. What does it look like to lack and to be thankful? The world out there will say that you have to have something in order to be thankful. In Christ, the gospel is that we have the thing that we will forever be the most thankful for. To approach the Lord in prayer, to, to approach him in an attitude of thankfulness. Even in, the, even in the anxiousness, even in the anxiety, Paul is saying, approach the Lord, tell him what you want, tell him what you need, tell him what you're anxious about. Be thankful in that in some mysteriously wonderful way. Be thankful that he hears you. Like Steve read to start the service, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I wonder if sometimes if we don't cast our anxieties upon, upon God because we don't believe that enough that he cares for us, that our stuff matters to him. In everything. In verse 7, he says, and the peace of God, this is the promise, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a, like, if-then statement. This is not a so-so confidence statement. This is not a maybe-this-will-happen-sometime statement. This is an absolute promise saying, do not be anxious about everything. Offer it up to God, and the peace of God will absolutely, future tense, will always never stop guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why the heart and the mind? Well, because to people in this era, the heart was basically the sum of your whole life, and your mind was how you navigated life. So who you are and what it looks like to live in this life, that you're going to be guided by Christ by offering your stuff up to him. You're going to have his peace, his shalom. You know the difference between uh, Christian peace and the peace of the world? Christian peace, this idea of shalom or wholeness, doesn't need a conflict to go away in order to still be peace. Jesus said, peace I give you, not like the world gives you. Not like the world gives you. Take heart, I have overcome the world. That's why you can have peace right now, even when the world gets very, very bad. What if I told you that anxiety is because of sin? Some of you would get that. You would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a warrior, and I'm pretty sure if Adam and Eve, um, pre the fall in Genesis 3, didn't worry, and they shouldn't have worried, then anxiety probably is the sin. But there's another portion of you that may think otherwise. 18 to 30%, this statistic, 18 to 30%, may have a serious problem with what I just said, that anxiety is because of sin. 18% is the known, the known minimum of the percentages of the, of the American adults age 18 and up who have been diagnosed with a clinical anxiety disorder. 18%. That's almost one out of five. The reality is it's probably closer to 30% because of how many are undiagnosed. Have a clinical anxiety disorder. If you do the math tonight, that could be about 200 people between both services here just in this building. If you reached out, if you reached over, if you made it really, really awkward for the people that don't know you next to you and you like leaned over them and reached as far as you could, you probably would touch somebody who has uh, a disorder like this. Some of my best friends have anxiety disorders. I didn't like come find them because they had, oh, I heard you had an anxiety disorder. Let's be friends. It wasn't like that. It just, it happened. 
Now, what's, what's, the, what's the relevance of this verse, though? Do we just say, well, um, don't be anxious, pray, and God will guard you. You don't need to take medicine. Or God will guard you. You don't need to see the doctor. You don't need to see a counselor. Let me promise you this. No pastor at this church will ever tell you that it's an ungodly thing to seek medical help. Now, here's the kicker. Yeah, well, here, here's the reason why. Because, like, last week, it sounds like I'm a bad driver. I promise I'm not. Last week, I ran over the entire hood of a car on the highway. Okay? I mean, come on. How often do you see a hood of a car on the highway? I'm far away. I'm not going 45 miles an hour, but I'm going, like, 65. You know, I'm, I'm making my way down. And as it gets closer, I'm seeing it come into view. I'm like, what is that? And I'm about 20 feet away. And I said, that's the hood of a car. That's the whole hood of a car. And I can't get out of my lane, so I just have to bulldoze right over it. <laughs> so I, I veer off the road. I, I go to a quick, a quick trip, obviously, because I could be there for a while. And uh, I didn't sit in the car. I didn't pull over and say, God, I'm going to sit here and just pray that you fix my car. You can do a miracle. I'm going to sit here. Actually, matter of fact, I may go inside and get a quick trip donut, but, but I'm going to still keep praying. You, while my car is here, you fix it. No, I, we wouldn't say that. You would say, you can take it to a garage. Here's the kicker, though. Whether, whether we have, because we have so many amazing things at our disposal in our society, medicine, technology, things like that, the danger is, does prayer even become a part of the process? When you get a headache, is prayer even a remote reaction? Or do you reach for the, for the bottle of, of Aleve like I have sitting in the office? I got a headache. Just give me that leave, you know. Here's what can happen. You may think that you're strong because you're not, um, because you're not, you don't have to be on medicine for things like anxiety. You're not in this 18 to 30% if you're not. You may think you're strong because of that. I would argue that all of us medicate, self-medicate anxiety in different ways. You may not be taking pills from a bottle from Walgreens, but you may be self-medicating from a liquor store. You may be self-medicating through uh, Quick Trip Donuts, very, very likely. I've seen it in my own past at times. You may be turning to somebody that you're putting in the place of God. Instead of saying, Christ, be everything, you're saying, well, if I can just get this person to like me, then, then my life will be fine. All of it will go away. It'll all be better. We have to be careful because we can self-medicate our need for the Lord and his peace away. So however God uses his stuff that he has allowed mankind to create, whether medicine or garages for the next thing that I run over or whatever it is, in that process, there is something more that we, Christian, have at our fingertips. And Paul just said it. Do these things. Offer your anxieties up to the Lord. Pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding which goes far beyond anything that you can even begin to describe and understand. Sometimes you can't even name it, you can just feel it. You ever been there? Like, I have, I can't really explain to you what this is, but I just know that I have something that is very special. This wholeness, this, this peace that comes uh, only from God. It only comes through Christ. Here's the cycle. Here's the cycle. Anxiety event happens. Maybe it's a new event, 
Or some of you are always walking around with old events in, in your mind that every time you remember it, there's another opportunity to be anxious about it, to be divided in your focus about it. So, so the, the, the incident, the event happens. Then you offer it up to the Lord, praying, God, please take this. Please work in this. I need you in this. This is way above and beyond my limits. And then the peace of God, the shalom of God, the, the, the peace of God which surpasses every piece of understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul would have known what it was like to be guarded, right? He's sitting in prison, remember? Now, here's what the world will say. The world will say it a little differently. Anxious event happens. You can pray if you want to, if that's how you get through it. Hope for the best, because maybe the circumstance will change. And then if the circumstance changes to fit the right criteria, then maybe you'll have peace. If enough money comes in, maybe you'll have peace. If you're able to lose enough weight, maybe you'll have peace. If you look a certain way, maybe you'll have peace. If you find that particular man or woman to marry, maybe you'll have peace. Now, the formula that Paul offers is irrelevant to the circumstance. However God decides to answer the prayer, that's up to him. He, he promises this. The thing happens. Pray. Bring yourself before the Lord. Vulnerability. Desperate vulnerability and need. God, I need you in this. And somehow in that, you're going to have peace, whatever the circumstance ends up being. He's, Paul's going to go on to say in the next week or two when Mark preaches that I found the secret to having everything and having nothing, right? You have the prize. You have the answer because no matter what the answer could be, you could get the paycheck. You could get the boyfriend. You could land the job. The greatest prize you will still possess at that point in time is Christ Jesus. The greatest thing that we can have in any point in time in our entire lives, whether we have much or we have little, is Christ Jesus. We already, you Christian, right at this very moment, possess the greatest thing you will ever own for the rest of your entire life. Jesus. He is the prize. He's the one that gives us peace. Peace with God and a relationship with Christ are synonymous with one another. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Therefore, there's no one who can give you the peace of God but me alone. These are desperate prayers. Christ, be everything. When's the last time you prayed something like that and really meant it? Here's my default. Here, here's, I don't think I want to pray like this, but here's how I wake up every day thinking in my flesh that I should pray. So God, I get up early again. Do you see that? I'm going to pray. You're a lot bigger than I am, so I'm going to do the math. I want to have big things happen in my life. I'm pretty good, but I'm going to lack in certain little ways. Can you kind of help me out in some of these ways? That's very different than pleading, fist clenched, on the ground, not giving up Christ be everything. Because I know all the ways that the circumstances have provided no other way out. You are my only hope in this. Christ be everything. So what else can these prayers look like? Here's one. God, I don't see how. There's no way. Christ be everything. Anxiety event. Christ be everything. Here's another one. God, I don't have enough. Christ be everything. God, it's getting close. 
The deadline is looming. The pressure is mounting. Christ, be everything. God, please act soon. I've been asking you for a long time now. Please act soon. No matter what, Christ, be everything. God, how could you allow Christ be everything. God, I did it again. Christ be everything. God, I can't handle this alone. Christ be everything. God, I lack. You fill in the blank because we all lack in our own ways. I need you. Christ be everything. What does God promise? His own peace, His own wholeness given only through his own son. It's the king's peace. You can't have the king's peace without the king, King Jesus. He is the one, Ephesians uh, Ephesians 6 says, he is our peace. He himself is our peace. Focusing on this on a daily basis, because the anxieties are going to come. You may have it all figured out today, and I almost feel sorry for you in a way because you don't know what it's like to go through this process. If you don't have these anxieties happening, what does it look like for you to need the Lord? If you go through this on a regular basis, every time these things creep up, every time the enemy draws near, every single time, the opportunity as you pray this prayer more and more in this particular moment, Christ be everything. It's a good prayer. But what happens over time is you grow in Christ and then the prayer becomes this. Christ is everything. A lot of, it takes a lot of the first prayers to get to the second one sometimes. Days and weeks and maybe months, maybe even years of getting to that second piece where you're able to thankfully cry out and say, Christ is everything. I can rejoice in the Lord at all times because Christ is everything. Because I don't have to do anything else to add up to, to make anything else happen. It doesn't matter if any other dime comes in my bank account. It doesn't matter if I ever find that person or not. Christ is everything. It may take work to get there, but my friends, the first prayer and the second prayer are both good prayers. This is where we are as a body. Christ is everything. Father, we thank you tonight for the sufficiency of Jesus. Father, I pray for friends tonight who, whose emotions, who, whose perspective have yet to catch up. I pray for those especially who uh, who've even struggled to, to say the first words, that struggle to ask you for Christ to be everything. I, I simply ask tonight that you would help us to worship, to respond, not in self-righteousness, not, not in shame because of how we don't add up, but in full sufficiency of who Jesus is, in thankfulness for the fact that he is all and in all, Christ is everything.